Good morning, live church via live stream, bodies in this place that are breathing air. It's a good thing, right? Good thing. Yeah, it's great to see you. Really is. Um, I got a text from somebody yesterday. They said, uh, I'm sitting by Paul Christ in a restaurant having dinner. And I texted back, I said, tell him he should be playing football right now, not eating dinner, right? Isn't that right? Paul Chris, the uh, football coach for Wisconsin Badgers, uh, as you know, all that's been put on hold. But I was reminded of the simple fact that what are you doing with your life right now? Are you sitting having dinner instead of doing what you were designed to do? What's been put on hold in your life? Do you realize that God is calling you to a relationship with him? That's the thing he wants more than anything else in this world. There are times when I take a walk and... The stars are brilliant in the sky. I don't know if you've seen the moon the last few nights. Beautiful. And the thing that God created that. Just for us to enjoy. But do you realize that he created you? He knit you together. He breathed the first breath into your life the moment you came out of the womb. Why? Because he loves you so much. And because of that, he desires that relationship more than anything. And so we could just spend the rest of our lives sitting around a table eating, so to speak, not accomplishing what we were designed to do. And that was to have that relationship with him. And I want to encourage you today, man, if you have been negligent, in nurturing that relationship or putting your faith in Christ, where you pull the trigger and you say, yes, I will become a follower of Jesus no matter what. That's what he's waiting for. Because he cares about you. He loves you. And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you today, man, take full advantage of it. We're not here today to impress God. You know, we're in church. Hey, God, look at me, you know. I should get in a couple extra bonus points when I get to heaven. No, no, no. No, we're here. We're here because we love him. We've come to invest our life in him and with his body, the church. That's you. It's just a simple way to respond and say, Lord, I need you more in my life. And so this is an investment. It's not, we're not just hitting a button, boom, you know, and... We get up and we leave and nothing's ever changed in us. Man. No, no. God wants, he wants, we, we sang that song. Uh, no, I, I, I can't remember the word where I am responding to him. I am responding to him. So. Let's do that together. 
If you're online uh, on the church Facebook, the church website, you want to dial up the uh, notes. You've got notes in your hands. They're by the chairs, and you want to grab your Bible, and you want a pen, too, because we've got blanks today. Blanks equals pen. Pen equals fill them in. There's a process, man. Right on. So here we are. Travis finished up chapter 2 on uh, 1 Thessalonians last Sunday. We're continuing in that book. Uh, it's, to me, it's incredible. I, out of all the years I've been serving the Lord, I've never taught from start to finish in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so it has been enjoyable for me to see how relevant this book is, even though it was written, this letter was written back in 51 AD. Here we are, 2020, and it's still making sense. Probably even more now than ever before. So, let's, uh, let's dig in. You can see in the top of your notes, it's not about you, it's about God in you. Subtitle, My Appointment with Trouble. Man, that should get you fired up today, right? My Appointment with Trouble. That's how I feel when I go to the dentist, man. I've got an appointment with trouble. <laughs> you hear me whining all the time, don't you? Every time I have a dentist appointment, it's on the, and I have an appointment this month, and I'm not looking forward to it, man. The dude beats me up every time in my mouth. Anyway, we have an appointment with trouble. Paul uses that word quite often in, in this text, but there was a family that experienced trouble as well. Jonathan and Laura McComb, man, they were a picture of the all-American family. They had uh, two young children, four and six years old. They had a great marriage. They loved each other. They were passionate for God. They loved going to church. They loved telling people about Jesus. Memorial Day weekend, 2015, they decided to rent a cabin near a river just to get a little getaway with the family. And then a storm came. Uh, rain was in the forecast, that's true, but how about once in a century flood? That wasn't in the forecast. Nobody saw it coming, man. It came out of nowhere. The Blanco River rose 28 feet in 90 minutes. Think about that. 28 feet in 90 minutes. You know what water does, man. At flood stage, it roared through the hill country. It took homes and cars and bridges with it, man. It was destructive. Jonathan and his family figured, hey, let's get up to the second floor in this cabin. The cabin they were staying in, but safety was nowhere to be found that day because that house was yanked right off its foundation. And they found themselves as a family clutching a mattress, riding that white water as it raged. Jonathan survived. Nobody else in his family did. When the pastor visited him in the hospital, he could hardly move from the pain that he was in. He had broken ribs. He broke his hip. But it was nothing compared to his broken heart. Jonathan tried to talk, but all he could do was weep. A couple of weeks later, he found the strength to speak at the funeral of his wife and two young children. 
seemed like the entire city showed up that particular day. The church had no empty seats. There weren't any dry eyes in that place. For over a half an hour, Jonathan described his wife and his children. He spoke of their laughter and the joy that they had brought him and how empty his house had become. Suddenly. Why? Because trouble came. He said, while he was talking, people have been asking me how I'm doing and how I can stay so strong and positive in a time like this. I've told them that I've been leaning on my family, my friends, but most importantly, my faith in Jesus Christ. He went on to say, after church, every Sunday, my wife, Laura, would ask, how do we get more people to come to church to learn about salvation, about having a relationship with the Lord? That's how passionate she was about Christ. Jonathan replied, well, Laura, what do you think? They're here, right here, right now. A particular verse that I have loved over the years has also helped me along, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. He went on to say, I have no explanation for why such a tragic event like the flood takes place and lives are lost, but I know that God is not going to give us anything we can't handle. I know that we are here for a little while, but trust me, if I could have every bone broken in my body to have them back, I would do it. But it's not our call. Yes, I know that this entire tragedy is horrible. And man, I have been angry. I have been upset. I have been confused. And many times left to wonder why. I've cried enough tears to fill that river up a hundred times, but I know that I can't stay angry or upset or confused or continue to ask myself why because I will find out that answer when my time comes and I am reunited with my family in heaven. But trust me, that will be the first question I ask. Now, as we summarize Jonathan's talk back in 2015, Think about the number of times that he used these two words, I know. <laughs> he didn't say that, but <laughs> he said, I know, I know. I know that God is not going to give us anything we can't handle. I know that we are here for a little while. I know that this entire tragedy is horrible. I know I will be reunited, reunited with them in heaven. You know, Jonathan didn't put his head in the sand. He didn't, uh, you know, uh, hey, I'm just ignoring the facts or reality. No, he didn't react in a superficial way either. You know, with some kind of shallow belief system. Man, he knew the tragedy was horrible, but in the midst of the storm, he found hope. In Christ, he didn't find any easy answers. No, no. But he found the answer. Big difference. He made a deliberate decision to build his life on God in God's word. And friends, quite honestly, that's what we need to do today. Man, if you've been pushing God away, don't do it 
it, these days, it's critical that you say yes to Christ. I, I visited with a man last week who has days or weeks left. Two weeks ago, I prayed with him to receive Christ into his life. Last week when I was there in his home, I noticed something. He had Christian music playing in the house. Something happens when we're in the presence of the Lord. Something happens. Lives are changed and lives are transformed. In John 16, 33, Jesus kind of echoes what Jonathan went through. He says, I have told you all this so you, can, you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Um, the NIV puts it this way, in this world you will have trouble. Trouble, there's that word again, trouble, man. Um, Jonathan McCabe had trouble. And I can tell you that uh, I've seen this happen in life that when trouble comes, people who call themselves followers of Christ either dig in with God and let the light of Christ become a beacon in their lives or people become angry and bitter at God and they walk away. Yeah. You see, we have a trouble, we have an appointment with trouble and that's the world we're living in. It's broken. Jesus is basically saying... This world is broken because of sin. And because of sin in this broken world, you will experience trouble. Life is not fair. But he says, I've told you this ahead of time so that you will have peace in me. That's where you're going to find peace. You know? Why, why are so many people uh, drifting into drug abuse right now? Why are so many people leaning into alcohol right now in the midst of the chaos in this world. And Jesus has always been there and he's saying, in this world where you have trouble, man, and it's hitting the fan big time, he said, I'm promising you peace and you don't get that peace any other place except through me. So, Let's go to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I think you will agree with me. Uh, there, there's a word that keeps pop, popping up in this particular part of the letter that Paul writes. Verse 1, finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. 
Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and as and they did, as you well know. And then let's jump down to verse 7. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters. Why is that? Paul is experiencing troubles himself and suffering, but he says we've been encouraged in the midst of trouble. Why? Because you have remained strong in your faith. And this morning, I want to encourage each one of us. I don't know what kind of trouble you're facing in your world. I don't know what the definition of trouble means in your life right now. But the Lord is here and he knows. And he wants to encourage each one of us. So Father, we thank you today for your word that has stood the test of time over and over again in the midst of all kinds of cultures and societies that have come and gone, Lord. Here we are on the timeline of history. We're We have the privilege of reading your word and reminding ourselves that, yes, in this world we will have trouble. But man, I have to tell you, Lord, I have been encouraged. I have been encouraged by seeing Jonathan McComb, how he's modeled what a follower of Christ can do in times of trouble. Thank you for that example that we can apply to our lives, God. Talk to us today. Challenge us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul recognizes that there is a temptation to give up when you're in trouble. Um, it's true. And Paul was deeply concerned for this young church in Thessalonica. And, and we, we get that sense that he was, he was thinking about them constantly. He was concerned about them because he knew that not only was he in trouble in Athens, but this young church was in trouble back in Thessalonica. And because they were so new in the faith, he didn't know how they would withstand that kind of pressure, tension, conflict. And so that's what's driving this. And you kind of get where Paul's coming from in Acts 18. You know, Acts 17, 18 is where Paul landed when he's writing this letter to this young church. In verse 6, he says, but when they, talking about the Jews again, the Jews opposing him and insulting him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, listen, I, I've, been, I've been going to the synagogues and I've been teaching and talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And instead of you responding to this great love, that God has demonstrated to you, you, you are, you, you're persecuting me, you're, you're harassing me. 
And because you're not listening to this great news that I've been presenting, I'm shaking the dust off my sandals and I'm leaving, man. I'm, I'm going to go tell the Gentiles. Yeah. There's people today, maybe you're one of them, that you're, you're resisting this great love that God is presenting to you and you're, you're just blowing it off. It's a dangerous place to be because you keep doing that over and over again, friend. There may come a time when God stops talking to you and he lets you go your way because you've said no to him so many times. So, Paul... Dealing with, you know, he's getting hammered. In verse 9 and 10 of Acts 18, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. There, again, no matter where Paul went, it seemed like there was trouble coming after him. And you, you kind of get from this, these couple verses here in Acts 18 that Paul was dealing with some inner struggle, man. He was doubting, you know, should I keep on doing what I'm doing? Is it, is it worth it? it? It seems no matter where I go and what I say, I'm always getting, you know, people are coming after me, threatening my life. Lord, I, I don't know if I should keep doing this, but look at the Lord spoke, spoke to him in a vision and said, don't be afraid, speak out. Paul, come on, don't be silent. Why? Because I am with you. And in your trouble today, right now, maybe you need to just rest in that simple fact that the Lord is here saying, I am with you in the middle of this trouble that you're facing. So, man, what we see is a faith that isn't troubled by troubles. <laughs> maybe, maybe we could say, when I grow up, I want to have faith that isn't troubled by troubles. Huh? Maybe we need to lean into that this morning. When I grow up, I have to tell you a little. This morning I was thinking about, I don't know, I saw this, this photograph came to my mind again. Of It was taken of me when I was a little dude, man, probably four years old, I don't know. But I had my, I had my Western attire on, you know, with my, my six-shooter on the side and my cowboy hat and I had a cowboy vest, man, I... And I was so, I thought I was in heaven, you know? And then at the foot, at the foot I had a, a red little fire truck, man, at the base of my feet. And the temptation is to think, man, if I can only go back there. But you can't. That's over. That's over. And now, today, today, we all are in that position where we can't go back to the fire truck days, you know, in the Western attire. We're living in a day where we need to step up and take responsibility for our lives and engage fully in that relationship with Christ. And that's where Paul is settling here. So in Hebrews six eighteen through 20, the promise says, Grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus running on ahead of us has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us. 
So there we have it. Every single one of us today, we are anchored to something. It might be a relationship. It might be a position, a job. It might be popularity, whatever the case may be. We're anchored into something. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be anchored into Almighty God, just like Jonathan McComb did. Because the winds are going to blow, the rain's going to fall. But in the end, you're going to be standing. You will. You'll be standing. You'll be standing with God. So, Matthew 7, 24, 27, Jesus, again, writes this, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise. Does that sound familiar, huh? And the winds beat against the house. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Notice Jesus said it might, it might, no, he says it will collapse. We're, we're seeing this happen on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Everything, everything that has stood before is falling before your very eyes. And Jesus has said that you, you have the responsibility of building your house on rock. Or you could take the easy way and build it on sand. But the difference is when the storms come, and they're coming, trouble's coming, trouble's here. If you're building your house on the sand, that's easy construction, cheaper construction cost. Your house will not stand. And you're being tested right now. And just like Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on the spiritual temperature of that young church, Timothy is here this morning, so to speak, and he's looking at you and he's looking at me and he's asking that simple question, how is it with your relationship with the Lord? How is it with that spiritual temperature in your life right now? How's it going? How's it going? And um, that's a, a choice each one of us has to make. So number one in your notes, encouraged in times of trouble. <laughs> finally, finally, finally we could stand it no longer. You ever been in a place like that? I can't take it anymore. <laughs> that's, that's not where Paul's at. Some people kind of live their lives like that. I can't take it anymore. 
That's not where he, he's, when he, we can't, he says, we can't stand any longer. We decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. And he's our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles that you're going through. Paul, he was, you don't want to use the word tormented, but he was so passionate about this young church, these new believers, so curious as to how they were doing spiritually, that he said, I can't, I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. You know, because the communication in that day, there weren't cell phones yet, you know. Email wasn't invented yet. So it was snail mail, basically. And, and so, however that was. Um, and so Paul says, I need to send Timothy, a co-worker in Christ, to find out. And t- Timothy went and brought back that great news that that young church was thriving in the midst of trouble. And can I tell you something, man? Wednesday night, we saw the Tortured for Christ film with Richard Wormbrand. I got to tell you, man, it was powerful. It was 14 years in a Romanian prison when Russia occupied Romania because he was a follower of Christ. Did Richard Wormbrand face trouble? I would say so. Man. And so, I read this Wednesday, but he wrote, I have never met one single lukewarm Russian Christian. You may be lukewarm today spiritually. You, do you know, um, I, I, just, I just read an article. Um, this guy that used to be a detective out in California, now he's, he's an apologist for Christ, and he says the number one danger facing Christianity in America is apathy. It's apathy. It's a dangerous place to be. And Richard said, persecution always produced a better Christian, a witnessing Christian, a soul-winning Christian. These people cannot understand how anyone can be a Christian and not want to win every soul they meet. These millions of dedicated, true, and fervent believers in the lay church have been purified by the very fires of persecution, which the communist hope would destroy them. And in a letter smuggled out secretly, the underground church said, we don't pray to be better Christians but that we may be the only kind of Christians God means us to be. And that is Christ-like Christians. That is Christians who bear willingly the cross for God's glory. Is that you? Are you lukewarm? 
Are you apathetic this morning in your walk with Christ? This is an opportunity. The door to the ark is open right now. The ark. Jesus closed the door on the ark when the floods came. It was too late for people to get on. There's coming a day when Jesus will close the door to the ark and it's going to be too late. And Jesus is calling. He's calling. And so, Lord, this morning, we thank you for the encouragement that we received from Paul in the midst of the trouble that he was facing in this young church in Thessalonica, the trouble they were facing, and yet their faith remained strong. I think of Jonathan McCloom, who lost his wife and two children, and how instead of becoming bitter and angry at God, he simply dug in with his faith and allowed you to use it for your honor, Lord. We're all facing trouble right now, trouble to different degrees. And so this morning, we simply rest in you, Lord. The privilege we have to open a Bible and read it, the privilege we have to obey it and apply it to our lives. We want to thank you for the freedom we had today to come into this building. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Lord, I pray for people that are on that sinking sand this morning that they would say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Sin will keep me away from a holy God, but I recognize that you gave that free gift of salvation by allowing Jesus, your only son, to go to the cross and pay for my sin debt in full. You paid it in full. There's nothing I could do to earn it. And so I simply say, yes, Lord, forgive me. I believe you took my place on the cross. I'm trusting you today to be my savior. You rescue me from the floodwaters of sin. Jesus, I realize you love me and you want to have that personal relationship. And so I say yes today, Lord. I say yes to you. Forgive me. Forgive me my sins, Lord. And I invite you to come into my life and become my spiritual leader once and for all, Lord. Let's settle it right here, right now. I'm inviting you to come into my life to become my spiritual leader once and for all, Lord. So thank you. Thank you for being here today, Lord, to make a difference. We may 
have been living our lives around a table, eating, instead of getting into the game. It's time to get into the game, to become fully engaged in our walk with you. I pray for that to happen, Lord. In Jesus' name.